Good evening, Grace Covenant Church. It is such a privilege to be with you, uh, at least on video. I sure wish I could be with you in person, but uh, it is an honor and a privilege to be able to serve you tonight at your 715 uh, midweek service. And let me first commend each one of you for coming to this midweek service for a little bit deeper dive into the topics of mental health and emotional health. I really am proud of you for investing in yourself and ultimately investing in those that you're gonna be able to help through the things that you're learning uh, through these 715 week, midweek services. I also wanna commend your staff. I'm so uh, thankful to be associated with a church like Grace Covenant that invests in very practical ways uh, in the people that they've been charged to help lead and to help grow spiritually. They really care about you and they've invested a lot of time and a lot of effort to equip you in the best possible way to handle the mental health and emotional health challenges that we find ourselves facing in our, in our present day. Uh, before we jump in, let me maybe just set the table a little bit about what we're going to talk about tonight. Sometimes when you're brought in as sort of the, the mental health expert, and I've been in the mental health counseling professional level for you know 20 plus years now, and when you're brought in as sort of the mental health expert, uh, sometimes the expectations can be that you're going to answer everything there is about this really gigantic topic of mental or emotional health. And I like to, to use a model that Johns Hopkins uh, University established and has put out there with regards to kind of the continuum of care that happens in mental health, and that'll hopefully frame what we're going to be talking about tonight. Johns Hopkins uses three R's. They talk about resistance, resilience, and recovery. And I like to think of the best way to describe it is from a natural example. Resistance would be those skills that were taught. Imagine you're, you're gonna take a walk, right? So the skills of how to put one foot in front of the other, of how to look both ways before you cross the street, of kind of the, the proper motion of swinging your arms. There's a, there's a skill set that actually goes into walking that's, that's been taught us for, at a very young age. And if we have it well developed, then we're able to, to walk through life, so to speak. Resilience is the step where sometimes when we're walking through no fault of our own or sometimes through a little negligence of our own, uh, we fall down. And resilience is the ability of once I've fallen, do, can I reapply the skills I learned in the phase of resistance to get back up on my feet and start walking again? From a mental health perspective, we learn basic coping skills. We learn how to handle stress and anxiety and deal with sad feelings. And when normal life happens and our mood isn't doing so well, we have resistance to be able to journey through life through its ups and downs. But sometimes the ups and downs catch us a little bit off guard and boom, we, 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 we fall down, so to speak, mentally or emotionally. And resilience would be, can I re-engage those skills in resistance to, to get back up and sort of brush myself off do, do a quick scan and a diagnostic, make sure I'm okay, but then re-engage the skills of resistance to, to start move. There are skills in resilience that help me get back up, but I'm really then reapplying what I learned in resistance. The third phase of that is recovery. And it, comparing it to a walk, sometimes when you are walking and fall down, sometimes from the fall down, you can get back up, and other times from the fall, you break a leg. And sometimes life hits us in such a way that really we need more help than just sort of brush it off. What skills can I use to brush it off and self-diagnose and start walking? Sometimes you need surgery to recover from what it is that happened. 
And that's where it would be the role of a mental health specialist, which we all uh, believe is important uh, in certain stages, but it's not important for everything. Every trip and fall, you know, parents, uh, sometimes your kids fall and skin their knee and they're screaming that they need surgery and that their leg fell off. But you can look and diagnose and go, okay, we don't need to go to the emergency room. It's, it's, there, there, there are skills and things we can apply other than surgery because it's not broken. Now, when it's broken, please go seek a mental health professional, an emotional health professional that can help you recover so that you can get back and use the skills of resistance to journey through life. So as the mental health expert, people often think I'm gonna cover the whole range of those topics. Uh, recovery, honestly, is beyond the scope of what we're going to be talking about tonight. We believe in it. Mental health professionals are uh, a wonderful part of our toolkit as we journey through life. But tonight I want to talk specifically about resistance. What are some of the skills that we can use to emotionally journey through life? And resilience. What happens when life hits us and we're knocked down? How do I move from that place of being knocked down to getting back up and reapplying the skills of resistance to continue to journey through life. And we're going to have that discussion tonight through one of really the most, I think, most frequently quoted scriptures in the Bible, and honestly, one of the most misunderstood and misquoted scriptures in the entire Bible. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 4 tonight. Philippians chapter 4, we're going to read verses 4 through 9. I'm going to outline a, a, a model, if you will, for emotional health. And then we're going to see how the scripture from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9, can be applied to help us develop both resistance and resilience as we journey through life. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4, says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, fancy word, brethren, also sisters, men and women, finally men and women, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, Whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. This is sort of the, the big dog scripture of dealing with anxiety. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about anxiety and depression simultaneously because in many ways, they're two sides of the same coin. Uh, in many ways, the, the very same treatment modality for building resistance and resilience and quite honestly, recovery in issues of anxiety and depression are the same. So as we're talking about anxiety, you could just as easily insert depression, but we'll focus primarily on anxiety tonight, but it's really going to cover both. But this is kind of the, the big dog passage on dealing with anxiety. Be anxious for nothing. Now, before we're going to really know how to properly apply this incredibly rich text that the Apostle Paul is giving us here, it's important to understand how, how emotional health works. You and I are made in the image of God. Now, now, what does that mean? That God is seven feet tall, slightly balding, and dashingly handsome? I mean, he's God. Why not, right? I mean, that's a pretty good option. But it, it doesn't mean that he looks like us. And it doesn't mean that we look like him. 
But what it does mean is that we're of the same essence. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three separate, distinct, yet fully integrated one. Different function, but fully one God. It's the mystery of the Trinity. And in many ways, your personality and my personality is the same way. It's three components that make one. You and I, with regards to our personality, we interact with life situations in a, in a constant fluid interplay between our, our thoughts, which is our mind, our actions, which is our behavior, and our emotions, which is our feelings. So I have, I have thoughts about things that happens, I have behaviors towards things that happens, and I have feelings about life events that happen. I have, can use my mind to engage with what's going on. Simultaneously, I can use my actions, and simultaneously, I can engage my emotions. And these three facets, are they're, they're, they're distinct and separate, but they're in constant, fluid interplay as I interact with life situations. Now, there's two truths that are important to understand about these kind of three integrated facets of my personality. The, the first one is this, is two of those I can directly control but one that I can't directly control. I have direct control over my actions. I can choose to stand up, I can choose to sit, I can choose to speak, or I can choose to not, right? You have agency, you have, you, you know this experientially, there are things you can just choose to do and literally do them, and you can choose to not. But from a biblical perspective, Galatians tells us that you and I have one of the fruits of the Spirit is, is self-control, the capacity to control oneself, meaning I can choose to behave certain ways and choose not to behave certain ways. It's actually why uh, Scripture, the, the, this principle that we love so much in our Every Nation family of churches of lordship is so central because lordship is, is my choice to govern my behavior under what Christ says I'm supposed to do. And God actually holds me responsible for how I behave. That's the essence of sin, to choose to behave either in accordance with God's teachings or external to what he says. So I have the ability to control my actions. I have the ability to directly, by choice, control my behaviors. I also have the ability to directly control my thoughts or my mind. Right? Let's, let's do an experiential practice. You can choose to think certain things. Ready? I want you to close your eyes. No one's going to pick your pocket. Why? I'm just, just take a minute and close your eyes. And when I count to three, I want you to form the mental image of an apple. I want you to think of an apple, form the mental picture of an apple. Ready, set, one, two, three. Think of an apple. Okay, you can open your eyes now. Now, every single one of us was able to form a mental picture. You may have formed like that nice red, delicious, juicy. You may have imagined it hanging on a tree in the Garden of Eden. Perhaps you even went with like that yellow, golden, delicious version. Some of you thought of your computer, right? But we, we, can have, we can form a mental image. You have the ability to think certain thoughts. We know that experientially, but biblically, the, the scripture tells us that you and I are to take every thought captive and make it obedient to the will of Christ, which means there are thoughts that'll zip across my mind and I can sort of snatch those and bring them back and say, okay, this thought I'm having about, about my day or my life or who I am or my identity, this is what the word of God says, the will of Christ. Let me line that up with it and choose to think, how does it line up with the will of God? And if it isn't 
in line with what Christ says. I can mentally choose to discard that thought, or I can choose to adjust it slightly and now think differently in accordance with the will of God. I have the ability to choose my behavior. I have the ability to directly control my thoughts, but I do not have the ability to directly control my feelings. I don't have the ability to directly control my emotions. In fact, nowhere in scripture am I commanded to feel a certain way. And if you're trying to think of passages where you're told how to feel, it's all you're actually told how to think and how to behave and then how you'll feel in response to those. But you're never told to directly control how you feel. And you know us also experientially. You're ready? Let's, let's do another thought experiment. All right, I want you to close your eyes. And at the count of three, I want you to feel happy. The count of three, I want you to feel happy. Ready? One, two, okay, stop. Open your eyes. Here's what you were doing. In order to try to feel happy, you were actually starting to think happy thoughts. You thought of your wedding day. You thought of your birthday. You thought of your favorite person who's coming into town to visit. You thought of the day you hit the home run as a little leaguer. You're, you're, you're having thoughts to move the needle on your emotions. We could do the same experiment if we said, feel sad at the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. You're going to start thinking about the day, unfortunately, your dog died. Right? So you do not have in your makeup of your personality a gauge, a meter to change how you feel. You know this goodness experientially, husbands and wives, if you've ever looked at your spouse and just say, stop feeling that way. <laughs> yeah, if I could, I would, right? I'm not choosing to feel a certain way. My thought, my, my emotions are a response to my behavior and to my thoughts. I, and I and they respond directly, and I do not control. <clears throat> if I were, uh, let's think of a behavior example, right? People who run, I, I used to play professional basketball, and the day I retired, I decided I would never run again. I vowed I'd never sweat again. In fact, you know, if I eat buffalo wings that are too hot and beat up here, I'm like, man, I'm going to count that as a workout. Like, I am done sweating. But these weird group of people, Pastor Jim, you don't know about these either, but there's a group of people who like to run. <laughs> and they will always tell you, well, I'm like, why do you run? Like, it's just nuts. I'm running cold and rain, run far, run till like their feet hurt. I'm like, why do you run? And they say, when I'm done, I feel great. Now, biologically, there's something that happens as I have physical activity, my endorphins start firing and it changes my mood. But, but my, my mood is actually tied directly to how I think or to how I act. We know it on a negative side. Let's imagine you're in your garage and you're working on a project and you're building something and you swing a hammer and you miss with the hammer. You miss what you're trying to hit and you hit your thumb. Well, just don't feel that. <laughs> right? You and I both know that that action is causing a feeling that I do not have the ability to not feel. Right? Nerves are firing. And ah, now, what I do in response to the feeling, I do have the ability to control. I can say some four-letter words, which is an action, or I can choose to not respond to the pain I'm feeling in that way that would be inappropriate. I can think, oh my gosh, I'm such a dummy. Why did I do that? Or I can choose to not think certain things. But what I do not have the ability to control is how I feel. Now, that's the first truth. I can control my actions. I can control my behaviors. Uh, or actions are behaviors. I control my... Con I can 
breath, Keith. Okay, I can control my actions. I can control my thoughts directly, but my, my, my emotions, I can only control indirectly by my thoughts or my actions. They work in response. Here's the other thing, that, the second thing that is true about this makeup of my personality, is that my personality, my, my thoughts, my actions, and my behavior will fight like crazy to stay integrated. To a healthy personality has all three of those integrated, which means how I feel shows itself in my activity and in my thinking. How I'm thinking, if I'm being led by my thoughts, is gonna show itself in my level of activity and in my emotion. And when, when it gets pulled apart, your personality will not stay that way very long unless you have a personality, what we call a personality disorder. And it's where I'm feeling something and acting and thinking in a disintegrated way. If, if you saw The Joker with Joaquin Phoenix, where he's, it's just disturbing to watch somebody acting a certain way, but then laughing, but then describing how they're depressed, but then they're smiling and you just kind of go, it's just like our brain codes, something is not right here because you're expressing an emotion that's disintegrated from what I see in your behavior and I know is not consistent with what you're thinking. It like pulls apart, right? It's the person that goes, man, I am so happy, right? It's my birthday today. And so something in you goes, mm, and you're expressing that you're happy, but this isn't, no one's told your face and it just, something looks, it's, our brain just says it's off. Or the person goes, oh my gosh, I'm so depressed. My dog died today. And, and you go, ah, right? We just intuitively know something is not right because our personality is meant to be integrated. Now, what does that have to do with emotional health? So glad you asked. If I am feeling a certain way and I'm choosing in my life or maybe not choosing, I can't help it because the emotion is overwhelming. If I'm led by my emotion, then my thoughts and my behaviors are gonna follow. So with regards to, let's take depression, for example. Depression is a, is a, is a depressed or a suppressed mood. I'm feeling dark. So I'm, I'm having dark emotional thoughts. At some point, my thoughts are gonna go there as well. Either my mood is gonna to lift to where my thoughts are, or my thoughts are gonna to go to where my mood is. So oftentimes, when somebody is struggling with an emotion of depression, you ask them what they're thinking, and they start saying things like, well, I don't know if life is worth living. Or, you know what, I don't feel that I have any value. Or, I, I don't believe anybody would notice if I wasn't here. And what's happening is their thoughts are integrating with their mood. That, that's actually a healthy response that their personality is healthy. And it'll start to show in their actions, right? They start to disengage from, from people. Maybe they, you know, they spend more time in bed because their mood is dark. Their actions are gonna start to reflect it. It's help, trouble getting out of bed, trouble getting to, out to do the things I enjoy in life. I draw the cart curtains. My room, my physical environment becomes sullen and dark. And, I, and it's just, it's a, that's a healthy way to respond to a very dark emotion because at least my personality is integrated. Now, how do we treat that? How do we fix that? Well, I can't just say stop feeling that way because I don't directly control my 
feelings. What I do control are what I do control is my thoughts, for instance. So I can renew my mind, which scripture tells me to do. I can be transformed. If I can consistently start to think things that are true, I can move my thoughts. And if I can do it for a consistent enough time, eventually my personality is going, I don't like to be disintegrated on. My mood will lift, which is why studying scripture, which is why I come into things like a 715 midweek service while, while, while reading your Bible, even when it doesn't feel like, oh my gosh, what am I getting out of this? What I'm doing is training and renewing my mind. I'm thinking properly. And if I can consistently do that, my mood will move to match. Now, what's challenging with depression and even with depending on the level of anxiety is it's hard to consistently think positive thoughts when my emotions are dark. So another way we would train uh, or treat depression is I would change your activity because your mood will respond to either your thoughts or your behaviors. So I'll tell you what, what we're going to do is come into your dark room and we're going to open the shades. Ah, and you feel like a vampire, right? Because it's like, this is inconsistent. Or we're going to take you outside and go for a walk, do physical activity, something inconsistent with a dark mood. We're going to do that behavior. And if I can pull your behavior and consistently move, walk, show up at life group, your dark emotions are going to be, I don't like this and will eventually move. It's a gold standard of how to treat depression or anxiety. It's called cognitive behavioral therapy. We change how your, your cognition, how you think, or behavior, how you act, and your mood will move in response in a healthy personality that wants to stay integrated, all right? Hopefully that makes sense. Now let's take a look at this passage and see how the Word of God starts to, uh, the brilliance of the Apostle Paul in this word. The passage starts off in Philippians chapter four and says this in verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. That, that's an activity. It's not a feeling. Rejoicing is not a feeling. It's something you do. It's, a, it's an inclination toward your behavior and toward your thoughts. Live toward God where you're quick to give thanks, where you're quick to yield, where you're quick to celebrate. You want to live every day with a front of mind notion that God is both great and God is for you. It's a way of thinking, and that thinking demonstrates itself in what comes out of my mouth and the lifting and surrendering of my hands. I live by rejoicing. Rejoice in the Lord always. And then he says, and again, rejoice. Do this. And he's telling us that we're supposed to rejoice really independent of how we feel. There's times where I don't feel like rejoicing, but I choose to not be led by how I feel. I choose to be led by what the Word of God commands me to do. I'm going to do the activity of rejoicing while thinking top of mind, God is good is awesome and awesome. So now I have both thoughts and actions pulling in the direction of satisfaction in the Lord, which has the ability to impact my mood. And you might be thinking, well, if I don't feel like it, am I being a hypocrite? Am I being a, a, a phony if I don't feel like it? No, you're being a person of faith. You're being a person who's going to choose to act in accordance with the word of God, whether you feel like it or not. You're gonna be a person who's gonna to choose to believe that there's value in thinking that God is awesome even when I don't feel like it. That's not a hypocrite, that's called faith. And 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, commands us we are to walk by faith, not by sight. Sight's what I feel like doing. 
Faith is doing what the word commands, doing and thinking in accordance with the word, even when I don't feel like it. Live by faith, walk by faith, not by sight, all right? Rejoice in the Lord. And the key kind of first proactive step that's gonna keep anxiety at bay is as I'm rejoicing, is understanding that as I'm rejoicing, God is near. Look at what it says in verse five. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. So even when you're feeling anxious, which is what this passage is talking about, don't lash out. Even when you're feeling stressed, and friends, this has been a stressful year, don't snap at people. Even when you're feeling stressed, do not act or behave like a person who is feeling stressed, like they would behave. Change your actions toward gentleness. So when I'm feeling anxious, what I'm going to choose to do is respond gently and to act gently. And why? Because the Lord is at hand. Because God is right there. Which means that his grace is available to you for you to have your actions and behaviors be in accordance with what he wants you to do. So no matter how I'm feeling, God is at hand as I'm rejoicing. Therefore, by his grace and his immediate power right there in me and next to me and available to me, I can actually respond in a way that's gentle. There's a saying among Navy SEALs. I don't know if we have any in attendance here tonight, but they, they're kind of a saying among them is when the going gets tough, the tough relax. And what they're saying is just because everything's getting agitated around you doesn't mean that you have to. The more agitated the environment, the more they relax. And in that relaxed state, they're able to now have proper, and how do they relax? Not by finding a gauge and moving it, by choosing behaviors that are inconsistent with the agitation of everyone else. They act actually more gently. They speak more softly. They deliberate their thoughts a little bit longer. And in so doing, their heart rate's not racing through the roof and their palms aren't sweaty. And now they can, they're not, vision isn't tumbling. They can think more clearly. So rejoice in the Lord always. Let your gentleness be known to all men all the time. No matter how they're acting toward you, no matter how you're feeling, because the Lord's at hand. By faith, I'm going to do what this passage is telling me to do. Now we see the misquoted, misused part of scripture. Verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We need all of that together, particularly in dealing with stress and anxiety. Because the text says, be anxious for nothing. And can I tell you, few things will make an anxious person more anxious than telling them God doesn't want him to be anxious. Right? So there's a those of us in professional counseling kind of joke about sometimes, you know, biblical counseling, we call it like take two scriptures and call me in the morning. And I'm a firm believer in the word of God. It can change our mind, which ultimately can change how we feel. But take two scriptures and call me in the morning. Oh, you're struggling with anxiety? Well, here's a nice verse for you. Be anxious about nothing. 
Now I'm going home and I'm more stressed because God doesn't want me to be anxious on top of the way I feel. Ah, right? I mean, that's, that's not helpful. And by the way, it's not commanding you to not be anxious. It's actually a passage that's telling you about a possible state of being that you and I can have as I rejoice, as I'm gentle, when those things are happening and then the steps that are yet to happen, the behaviors and thoughts that it tells us about, it's saying you can be free of anxiety. I don't have to be anxious. It's not telling me change how I feel. It's saying this is what's possible and available to you. Be anxious for nothing. But, that's a key phrase in how to live free of anxiety. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, or another uh, translation says by prayer and petition, but in everything, by prayer and petition, those are activities. Those are things I do, they're behaviors. By praying, by petitioning. And by the way, it's not a prayer about being anxious. So I don't go, oh Lord, take this anxiety away. Oh God, I'm super stressed. Oh Lord, you know how stressed I am. Please help me not be anxious. I'm, I'm getting more anxious and, and I'm getting anxious listening to people pray about this, right? I get more anxious. Lay hands on me and pray that I wouldn't be anxious. We, we try to pray anxiety away. And when it doesn't happen, which it could, but when it doesn't, because this text tells us it's not, saying that's what's supposed to happen. When my anxiety doesn't leave, I'm actually more anxious because now God won't answer my prayers. But here's what it's saying. Through prayer and petition, look at what it says. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. It's not telling you to pray against anxiety. What it's telling you to do is to think about all those things that make you anxious and bring all of those things now to God. I have two daughters that went to college a long way from home. The closest one was a nine and a half hour drive, so long way. The other one was, I live in Florida, was in New Hampshire. So many, you know, DC was the halfway point, right? So a long way from home. So we raised them properly, we sent them off, and there were many times I was anxious and they're thriving and doing well, but there were many times I was a little bit stressed about, man, they got tests, oh my gosh, they got boys, oh my goodness, there's friends, wow, how, how is the life gonna be for them? And I, and I would be have anxiety, but rather than go, oh God, take my anxiety away that I have for my, my daughters, that, that, that anxiety is an appropriate response for the things I was thinking about. It's a response. So what I chose to do is to take all those things I was thinking about and rather than roll them around in my head, but get them out to the God of heaven and earth. So God, I pray, Father, for the friendships that my kids would be building in college. God, I pray for the, the success of their future. God, as they're living on their own, I'm asking you, sir, that you would grant them wisdom. See what I'm doing? I've thought through those things that are causing me anxiety, and I take those specific things and begin in petition and supplication and prayer. I actively give those things to the Lord and ask his intervention in. Now look what happens. And, in other words, as I pray this way, not, Lord, take my anxiety away. Father, here are things that are making me anxious. Intervene in those. As I do this, it says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds, my emotions 
and my thoughts through Christ Jesus. Which means that how I feel, my heart, God's peace, will be changed and transformed by how I think and how I act in prayer. Those things that I think about and give to God in prayer. Now, how does that happen? I have no idea. That's why the passage says it surpasses our understanding. Like, I don't know why God made us this way. I just know that he did. And I don't know why the key to the reduction of my anxiety is to pray about things that make me anxious, not my anxiety, but about my anxiety to think and to act in that action and somehow peace replaces anxiety. I don't know how it happens. I can't know how it happens. He told me it surpasses my understanding. But look what I can know. That the peace of God, which surpasses my understanding, will guard my hearts and mind. The word guard there literally means to stand as a sentry. Which means that the, the, my anxiety of my heart, God, God himself will stand or assign like literally like, you know, emotional, spiritual, you know, SEAL Team 6 to stand and to guard. Now, a guard does two things. He keeps things out, right? A bank guard. Keep the robbers out and also keep the treasure in. So he, God himself, God, the peace of God will stand as a big buff sentry guard keeping out those very things that would cause me anxiety and disrupt my peace and keeping locked in both my heart and my mind that which gives me peace so which means I don't have to strain and struggle to produce those I just have to think and behave in accordance with the word of God and he will guard keep those things out that cause me anxiety and guard the peace deposit on the inside it's mind-boggling to me Woo, come on, baby. Now, I know what you're thinking. Um, this is probably easy for Paul to say. He didn't just come through a global pandemic. I mean, he could have never conceived of the busyness of our, of our lives living in the, you know, the D.C., Northern Virginia metro area. He could have never understood the, you know, the pressure of trying to get your kid into like the perfect kindergarten Right? He could have never understood the stress of our finances. He could have certainly never understood the anxiety and stress of social media. And that is all true. You are absolutely right. Um, but he is writing this passage um, from prison. And he's writing it to a church that he planted in Acts chapter 16 uh, during a riot. <laughs> um, and Paul and Silas have already been beaten with rods, thrown into prison, on a church that they planted, and it's in there that Paul writes the words, rejoice. Rejoice. And you might be familiar when Paul and Silas were in that prison in Acts chapter 16, what happened as they rejoiced. God shook that prison, and he threw open the bars, and he himself, the century of all centuries, came into that moment. Why? Because they chose to rejoice. Right. Anyway, I don't mean to be a dead horse. Let's look, move on and look at verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, look at this list. Whew. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, 
whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, what do we do? Meditate on these things. Think. Think. He's giving us a list of the kind of things we should keep at the forefront of our mind. Why? Because my feelings, my anxiety, my depression are in response, will move to where my thought life is going. And look at this challenge toward thinking. How many of you, just, you don't have to raise your hand, I can't see it anyway, but how many of you get anxious when you're thinking about what's true? How many of you get stressed when you think about what's noble? How many of you, your anxiety spikes when you think about what's just or pure? How many of you, when you look at something lovely and gaze upon it, that makes you anxious or good or virtuous or praiseworthy? None of of those are stressors. They're the opposite of it. So he's saying, fix your thinking on those areas. And then he concludes and says, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these, what? Do. And the God of peace will be with you. Learned, received, heard, saw. He says, go and do. So look how this wonderful passage on anxiety ends. Think and act. Mind and behavior. And if I can have my mind dialed into the word of God and what he says is pure and holy, true and right. And my behavior can line up with the Lordship of Christ. If I can think and do, listen, my emotions will fight to stay integrated. And where my emotions don't have the ability to fight to stay integrated, it says that God himself will fight on behalf of my emotions to stay at a place of peace. I hope this was a blessing to you tonight. You and your church have been such a blessing uh, to my family and me and our church down here. God bless you, Grace Covenant. Have an amazing night. Amen.